0: You are listening to The Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 26. Today we're interviewing Fee Gitcham on MTHFR and other genetic mutations. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers and today I'm talking with Fee Gitcham. Hi Fee. Hi Claire. We're talking about MTHFR and treating genetic mutations with Chinese medicine and nutrition. Fee started with holistic therapies in 1998 by apprenticing with a Native American shaman to learn shamanic counseling, journey meditation, and Reiki. She then graduated from Chinese medicine in 2006, and more recently has studied nutrigenomics. Fee is developing links between Chinese medicine and the clinical applications for some genetic mutations. Fee has been working at Discover Chinese Medicine with me for a couple of years now, but by the time you hear this episode, she'll be living in Boulder, Colorado. She does Skype consults with patients and practitioners to establish integrative treatment protocols for genetic mutations. You can find her website link in the show notes. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. So, welcome to the show today, Fee. How is it to be a guest on your own show? <laughs> well, it's great to be here, Claire. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so let's let's start at the very start. Well, it might not be the very start. Tell me about MTHFR and how did you get into this? What made, you, what made you go down the rabbit hole of studying gen- genetic mutations?
1: Yeah, um, I think there's a few things that led into that looking back now, but the way I experienced it was that uh, from doing a lot of Chinese med fertility work around about three or four years ago, people started coming in who'd had a couple of miscarriages and been told that they have this genetic mutation Uh, So I started looking it up a little and then um, looking at, you know, how to treat it because it really affects the way that a woman can metabolize a lot of the standard supplements that are given, like in the basic prenatal, the folic acid. This can become a big issue for someone with the MTHFR mutation. So it was actually through working with Chinese medicine that... I ended up getting into this because people would come in with these reports. Um, So in the last couple of years, I would say that it escalated for me having to learn more about it because I seem to attract patients who have a number of genetic mutations that all collide with each other, and they have quite terrible reactions to these standard supplements or just a basic B vitamin complex and so you know working here in the clinic where uh, the other two practitioners Claire and Kim would be giving the same supplements to to fertility patients with no problems and and my patients were just having these problems with digesting them, either feeling nausea or lots of reflux or um, feeling incredibly anxious or a change in anxiety, depression and sometimes even a mild type of mania after taking these supplements. So I started reading and learning and realizing that if someone has this mutation, there is no actual um, standard way to fix it by, okay, just give them this once per day. And I ended up really becoming fascinated and loving it and, and doing some further courses in the field of nutrigenomics, which is the nutritional treatment for the genome.
0: Great. And so you've discovered that you've got a whole bunch of patients who've got these really tricky MTHFR genetic mutations And also other genetic mutations. Why don't we start with the MTHFR and tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I just want to put it into context first when we're talking about genes. Everyone's got about 24,000 genes. And as is currently known, the average person is going to have about 60 mutations So for those of us working with people in clinic who have got chronic issues or uh, women with gynecological issues or people with mental health issues, those people are really more likely going to have something like 150 mutations. And then when you meet someone that just seems to have no health issues, no problem with stress resilience, um, pretty good health and perfect bowel movement every day, those people might have way less than 60 mutations. And of those 60 mutations, not all of them are going to be a health problem. So people might have 5, 8 or 10 that are a health problem, and then some of the others will just be determining what the person looks like. So it might be blue eyes. Blue eyes is a mutation, albeit uh, a fairly old one at this point, but it's still newer. Um, and everybody might remember Elizabeth Taylor for her big luscious eyelashes and apparently she had a mutation that causes a double row of eyelashes
0: oh wow that's interesting
1: yeah so I've been looking up all kinds of genetic mutations just to also give it context and some of them are also beneficial Mm. so some of them really assist people with dealing with modern toxins and yet um, what I'm focusing on is what's called the methylation group of mutations so I don't know them all there's too many um but mdhfr is sort of one is one gene that's becoming kind of famous because it's the gene that creates the enzyme for what's called our methylation biochemistry and that's one of the most important biochemical cycles in the body in terms of it's like an upper management position of the body's biochemistry so if that's not working properly then you're going to get a whole bunch of other genes that can't work properly, and also um, nutrients in the body that can't be transformed and transported properly. So there's a lot of a big wide range of uh, health implications for that.
0: And so, how can you give us a bit of background on how methylation became such a big focus within the world of medicine? Because I think that gives some good context as well.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure of the full journey of how it became that way in medicine, but MTHFR is probably one of the most famous genes on the internet. (laughs) And there's a lot of websites that go really deep into the rabbit hole of what it's all about. But if I just explain to you what it does, I think that will explain why it's so important and why um, just understanding if someone has this mutation or mutations on the cycles that connect to this gene, um, why it's so relevant. So the methylation cycle is the process for the body of adding a methyl group to a folate, and to a B12. That's called activating the folate or activating the B12. And from there, the body can then make a whole bunch of other nutrients of which about 200 other genes then rely on to do their work. And so a gene is always going to be transcribed into creating an enzyme, and an enzyme is a large part of what we would call the spleen function of transformation and transportation. So it has an ingredient, it has to turn it into something else, Uh, and on this level we're talking about biochemistry reactions, and then once it's created the product, it's trying to create something else in the body can then do its job with that ingredient, or in some cases lots of things in the body require that ingredient. So about 70% of the body's processes rely upon the outcome of methylation, and methylation itself will create all of the body's immune system cells as well as break them down when they're no longer needed or when they're in the wrong amounts. So we're going to see people who perhaps have weakened immunity or Wei Qi issues or lung Qi issues or uh, Zheng Qi issues and And so they might be catching colds frequently or they might, if you have someone who has a methylation issue and they've had glandular fever, they might need more help to recover, something like that. And we also have people who have autoimmune issues where the immune system is out of whack in a different way um, and is creating problems within their own body, creating inflammation. And methylation also creates and destroys most of our main neurotransmitters. So we've got the serotonin and the dopamine and the adrenaline and the noradrenaline. And most people who have this mutation from the patients that I've been testing, which is quite a lot now, most people have some form of anxiety. And then I would say within the spectrum, you'd see anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia... Or people who have more mild versions of something like bipolar and schizophrenia, but they just tend to cycle between being very lethargic and flat and depressed and being slightly manic or having, um, yeah, insomnia issues as well to do with having a charge of neurotransmitters at the wrong time. So this is because the body's struggling to create and destroy them in a timely fashion so that they stay in balance. So they'll get little spikes and drops. Methylation also takes care of the myelin sheath on the nervous system, which is our fatty uh, layer around the nerves. So people with family histories of things like Parkinson's disease as well is really relevant, and so some of those will be tested and they may already be tested when they come to you or if you're enthusiastic about this too, you might be testing them.
0: And is that, so it's also relevant for people with MS?
1: Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of, uh, if you look up a list of diseases related to an MTHFR mutation, the list is just so big. Mm. anything relating to the immune system, to neurotransmitters, to the myelin sheath on the nervous system, degrading, or usually it's got to do with it thinning, um, those issues. And it also manages the metabolism of estrogens. So, estrogen metabolism involves whether or not the estrogen's a good form of estrogen or if it's going to oxidise and become one of the forms of estrogens that we associate with breast cancer or ovarian cancer or just really moody, painful clotty periods and fibroids. And estrogen does depend upon the outcome, the biochemical outcome of methylation working properly. So, there are some. T- differences in treating men and women with it. Mm.
0: And so is this becomes a really big problem when people are looking at taking supplements like multivitamins and so forth because we're introducing really fixed fixed forms of these of these nutrients. If if people are getting their all of their B vitamins from from their diet, so if they're eating a diet that's rich in Leafy green vegetables and whole foods, and doesn't have much processed food, and processed foods in particular that are fortified with, folic, you know, synthetic folic acid. Is that mm-hmm. something that can be protective? In if people don't know their methylation status, is it better to just avoid having supplements if you can?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question because for so long, so many of us really seem to think that a multivitamin is a fairly Um, neutral, safe territory when it comes to self-prescribing and supplementing. And as soon as a woman wants to do anything with fertility, they put she's on Elevate, Um, at least in Australia. That's the the main multivitamin for pregnancy. And also there are some fortified foods, government-regulated fortified foods with folic acid. So the big problem here is that some people's body cannot do much with folic acid. And so I'll just go through the three types of folate. Folate is the actual name for the substance that we're trying to discuss, but it comes in various forms. Folic acid is, as you said, the synthetic form, and it takes the body, the process of turning folic acid into folinic acid or methylfolate, which is the form of folate that the body is going to actually use. That process is not really simple there's about 200 biochemical steps for the body to do that and that's within the realm of the job of the mthfr gene so if that gene has a mutation it's going to really struggle to convert that folic acid and it's just going to run around in the blood levels possibly even looking high in high levels um, but not actually converting and becoming what we need it to become. So the folates that are in food are much more available and easy to convert for the body. And I think this is where the strength of Chinese medicine really comes into play here, is that we're actually better off working with someone's diet, with the nutritional knowledge that we know, are, and making it thermally and seasonally appropriate. And we're better off working with Chinese herbs to do things like nourish the blood, you know, um, which is really relevant to B vitamin and, and folate supplementing, our blood tonic herbs, where these are whole plants and so the forms of folate and B12 that are in the herbs are going to be much more usable for the body than the forms provided in some supplements. Not all supplements are like this and so there's obviously a big industry coming out now trying to update and improve the way that these supplements are created because of this awareness so um you know i think that's a big thing so the basic food group to get really great folates is your raw leafy greens and folate is definitely lost with cooking so if you have someone who does need this in their case i'd be recommending raw leafy greens and a big bowl full every day like a a luxa bowl filled with greens and then you add to it the rest of your protein fats salad etc yeah or or other vegetables you might want to bake or something
0: and that's that's a really interesting point that you make about the about the chinese herbal medicine sometimes being a better option for these people and often that's where the strength of of our medicine versus someone like a naturopath or an integrative GP, for example, they're often relying more on pre-prepared nutritional products or pre-prepared herbal products that can be fortified with inappropriate forms of B vitamins. And so sometimes that's where we get patients who come in and they've seen three or four different other practitioners and their nutritional gaps have already been filled. And then we can come in with the with the Chinese herbs to get the qi dynamic right.
1: Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with that process of transformation and transportation that's like we can put all the ingredients in in a lot of these patients where I'm actually doing pathology tests with them I'm sending them off to have a blood test to look at their methylation profile we're looking at well what are your levels of folate but we're not just calling it folate if a lab just calls it folate you need to find out what form of folate they're actually looking at is this the blood level of the folic acid or is this the blood level of the folinic acid which is half converted or is this the blood level of the methylfolate, which can then create the outcome of what methylation needs to do? And so um, what I'm seeing is that a lot of people who are taking supplements but still not feeling great or still having certain problems, that, the, the level of that, that vitamin supplement that we're looking at, like it might be B12 or folic acid, is quite high in the blood. And it's causing them some symptoms. Mm. But it's actually not being converted. It's not going anywhere. So if we can use Chinese herbs and whole foods and acupuncture to help the conversion in the body, to help the qi that is dynamic actually process and become unstagnant, then um, they're going to do a lot better than just keep on taking this, this supplement. And I'm definitely not against supplements. I actually use more... Now that I know what I'm really doing with them, then I would have prior. But I also remember being really surprised. Many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I remembered some medical professional actually said to me, well, you know, your bottle of vitamins is is actually not that natural. It's it's a bottle of synthetic lab-created chemicals that are mimicking what your body needs. And I'm not sure if everybody really knows that that is the case with a lot of vitamins
0: yeah I think it's a really important point particularly when you're looking at the different the different quality of vitamins that are available as well and some patients are going down to the discount pharmacy and purchasing the cheapest bottle of b vitamins that they can get and they think that they're getting their b vitamins and I've seen patients come in with a bottle of b vitamins that has almost homeopathic levels of b vitamins in it like there's almost nothing mm. in it compared to what you might get with a practitioner with a practitioner only brand they tend to have much higher levels but again it's not necessarily always the most bioavailable form and often the 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 synthetic vitamins are not processed Mm. well or you know the assumption is i think with b vitamins in particular they're water soluble it's safe to take them in large quantities and anything that your body doesn't need you'll just excrete out in the urine and i think that that's also been a myth that is being currently debunked with all of the all of the methylation info that it's not this innocuous harmless thing to take a b vitamin that you can actually Screw things up.
1: Yeah, when I when I first get patients and I start to think, oh, they might be one of these mutants, and I say that fondly because we're all mutants. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the first things I can ask them is, have you ever taken a B vitamin, and how do you feel when you take it? And a large portion of them will say, I can't take B vitamins, and the reason why will be either some kind of digestive upset or um, some kind of mental health upset. Um, so I've had people tell me uh, I feel suicidal if I take a B vitamin and versus people who are just uh, saying they get this really horrible stomach cramping. Yeah, and then some can, and that's that's great. So one of the images I like to give patients when I'm talking about genetics because it's also very very chemistry (laughs) and dry is that I say look you've got all these conveyor belts in your body with ingredients coming along and and it's like there's a worker there and that's your enzyme it's created by your gene and that worker is meant to just kind of add something to the ingredient on the conveyor belt and make a new ingredient and so if your worker's got a broken arm or two broken arms or a broken leg or two broken legs or is in a wheelchair and that would be the variations of the type of mutations you can have, um, well, then their job's going to be really hard and a whole bunch of ingredients are going to fly past them on the conveyor belt and not be converted but with their new ingredient added to them. So with really clever use of nutrition and supplements and the right things at the right time, we can actually give them an assistant. We can do half their job for them. Mm. And in some cases with uh, genetic testing, people actually have gene deletions and they're not going to be very well at all, but they're going to need lifelong support because the gene simply isn't there. Mm.
0: And so a lot of these people have, I mean, yes, they've got their, their genetic mutations, but there's also a lot of disharmony wrapped up in their digestive system and their immune system Where do you start with these patients? Because you're not always starting with giving them methylfolate.
1: Right, yeah. So when I first learned about this, I kind of came across information, which I think is one of the the most important um, myths to know about if you do start reading about this or treating this in patients, and that is that, oh, they have the MTHFR mutation, just give them methylfolate. And so what I've learned from studying it really thoroughly um, and doing courses in the treatment of it is that that might be step 10 and it might not be necessary if we get the diet and everything else working properly and it's definitely not a good place to start with step 1. With some people it will go fine and with others it will be the disaster that I've been describing that (laughs) inspired me to study this in the first place. So... The first nine stages are things that as a Chinese medicine practitioner you'll all be familiar with. And I think that's why it's great to, to combine this knowledge with Chinese medicine and to also feel confident that our medicine can really help. So you're going to deal with inflammation. You're going to try and remove the sources of inflammation in the environment, in the diet, and also in the... In the mind so that might be to do with creating right relationships which we have a beautiful wisdom with our medicine to help people do and you're going to be healing the the gut so whether you call it leaky gut or whether it's some kind of spleen or intestinal digestive chi issue you're going to be healing that as well all of those need to work properly and you're going to be working with the the zhong qi and the immune system qi and you're going to be balancing the yin and yang. So my way of understanding this is that if someone has a mutation, they may need more long-term support. They might need to take on an actual diet and lifestyle for life that's going to be nourishing their destiny, Mm -hmm. nourishing their jing chi because our genetic mutation is going to be a jing Qi deficiency. Mm -hmm. So we already know all the things we need to do to build our jing in life, and it's it's exactly the same program. Um, If you are familiar with more Western approaches to nutrition uh, and looking at things like heavy metal detoxes and fixing the thyroid, working with, hormones in a western and a chinese medicine way that's all applicable but but even if you just do chinese medicine you're still going to be doing what you can do with the qi to nourish the jing and so a lot of people that have these kinds of jing deficiencies or genetic mutation are going to have a fairly obvious type of yin or yang pattern or perhaps a swinging between the two and it's going to lead to certain types of stagnation and the most common would be a blood stagnation. People with the MTHFR C677T mutation are more likely to present with quite a lot of blood stagnation. It's the first thing you'll see, you'll see it on the tongue. Um, they'll have quite a lot of anxiety or depression and they'll be like a heart shu deficiency with blood stagnation. Um, And then, you know, there's some others that don't really fit into the blood stagnation pattern, and that's more the people that have what's called the A1298 mutation. These are the two most um, well-known MTHFR mutations, but there's actually quite a lot, and they can come from one parent or two parents. So if we come back to that image of the gene being a worker on the conveyor belt doing transformation and transportation... Um, and focusing on the transformation part, that worker, you know, if they have two broken arms, well, then it's come from both parents. Whereas if they have one good copy of the gene from one parent and one bad copy of the gene from another parent, uh, it's going to be a little easier for them to get really good results fairly quickly just from finding the right way to nourish their gene with with their lifestyle, with the acupuncture, with the Having good sleep, all these people are going to be more sensitive to toxins and the need for detoxification.
0: And to what extent can we switch the effects of these genes off? Because often we have, well, for people who work a lot with fertility, if you're testing the male and the female prospective parent, sometimes you'll get a scenario where, and I know that I've got a couple of patients at the moment where one of the one of the prospective parents has one mutation and one has the other so I've got one who's a uh, what's called homozygous for for one mutation and the other one's heterozygous for the other and so the odds that that child well it's all it's guaranteed the child is going to have some mutation that it's going to inherit from the homozygous parent and then mm. and then the possibility of maybe having the other mutation as well Mm. like it's there's a lot of complexity that comes into it and i I in my mind I'm back in year 10 biology doing my little gene chart of which you know what are the possibilities of these genetic mutations coming through how how do we what's your advice for people working in fertility?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so you're talking about one parent has the C677 and the other has the 1298. Yeah. And so the child's either going to get one or a compound of both and from one or two parents. So, yeah, there are, I remember those charts too to figure out what colour eyes the baby's (laughs) going to have.
0: (laughs) Am I going to have blue eyes or brown eyes? It's um really, that's the... The most important thing for me to know, <laughs> exactly. So if
1: you if you remember doing that, that's what we're talking about. Um, so it's really interesting. Another reason why methylation is is an important kind of higher level management process in the body is because methylation can switch genes on and off. Now, if you have a case where someone has two bad genes, and they're not working very well what we do with the supplementation is we tend to try and bypass them so what we're going to be supplementing with is the nutritional outcomes of the work of that gene so in some cases you can give someone methylfolate or folinic acid and it helps them because that's what the gene's trying to make and in other cases they have the gene uh, which is on the next conveyor belt that's also mutated, and then the methylfolate just gets trapped there, and then they get other symptoms. Mm. So then we need to say, well, actually, let's not give you methylfolate, let's give you the outcome of the work of both genes, which is further along the track, Mm. which might be something like glutathione, which is your liver's most important antioxidant. So this comes back to treating nourishing the jing calming the inflammation detoxifying the body making the chi really good and happy and doing what you can for the shen i think that's really important these people have often already learned that they can't live a life where they can you know drink beer and eat mcdonald's and get away with it like everybody else so by the time they come in a lot of them are already have done a lot of things to figure out that you know they're really sensitive and They can't get away with this stuff. So whether or not we can prevent it being passed on, it just highlights the importance of preparation for pregnancy Mm. and the great wealth of knowledge that we have with Chinese med with knowing, you know, let's spend six months making mum and dad really well before they even conceive Mm. because this is our best chance of having a well-methylated body, not an over-methylated body, which I'm not sure if that really happens. Um, there may be there's some discussion of overmethylation and undermethylation. We definitely have the possibility of undermethylation. I'm starting to think that overmethylation might simply just be referring to when these nutrients get trapped. Mm-hmm. So quite often you'll have someone who doesn't just have MTHFR; they'll have four mutations. Related in the methionine cycle and the biopterine cycle, which is connected. I won't go into them, but just so you know. Um, So what we want to do with prospective parents is get them methylating well, and then the body will be able to switch off as many problem genes as it can. So if I have two copies of MTHFR that are broken from both parents, it's not going to work very well at all. And if we just kind of switch it off because we're giving me all the supplements that create the outcome of the body, then I get pregnant. The child may inherit the gene mutation, but they may inherit, and if my partner also has it from both parents, well, then it's a guaranteed inheritance, but it's not necessarily going to be expressing in its worst possible way. So some people have mutations and they're not expressing. So a gene does turn on and off hundreds of times a minute. And it does this because it's, it's got a signal from the level of a nutrient in the body that we need to make more of this or less of this. We need to break some of it down and we need to make more and that's what we'll switch it back on again. So it's really fast process that they go on and off. And the best way to... Uh, some genes aren't aren't really needed so to speak so when we're talking about switching them off or bypassing the problem genes to improve the gene that is inherited that can often take these months of work which is why it's already part of Chinese medicine because that's probably what
0: that's what they're doing Mm. and so interesting like if we come back to what you were saying before about fertility And we've now got a generation of, or even more, of children who are coming through who were all on some form of folate supplementation whilst they're in utero. And we kind of just dump them on the sidewalk almost, that, that they're born and then we have no further regard for what their potential methylation status might be or what their folate status might be. And that... There's some children who may actually require more methylation support, even from a very young age. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that's really, it's quite new. Like back in, certainly back in the 70s, when I was born and when you were born, pregnant women didn't need to take multivitamins and we all made it here and we're we're here now. But now everyone needs to take, or you know, pregnant women all need to take these supplements. And I think that there's possibly a lot more pregnancies that make it that previously might not have made it and that's a, obviously a wonderful thing but there's consequences for that that we need to, I think, be more aware of with these people, with these children who are now coming in. What's what's your take on that and what's your advice?
1: Yeah, I think that's possibly the most controversial news that's, that's coming out of this and I'm really interested in it. So I think in general, if we look at mutations, the information that we have suggests that genetic mutations are more prevalent now than they were, say, 100 years ago. And obviously, I'm I'm not sure how they know that through not being tested 100 years ago, but genes have Uh, some memory and so when if you did your 23andMe you got your whole genome mapped you'd get your ancestry and obviously at this time and I think especially since World War II nature is throwing out a lot of attempts to evolve and we also look at you know there's information that says that the human evolution occurs in spurts and we're due for one So I think the last one was 10,000 years ago. So we still have the same endocrine system of um, the cave people from 8,000 years ago. And so that's why people discuss adrenaline issues with fight or flight, because you're not Running away from a tiger, you're trying to deal with the internet dropping out, and you've, you've got a deadline to book a flight, and you're freaking out and you're stuck in traffic. <laughs> and you know, this is the tiger that you're supposed to run away from or fight these days. So, everybody has stress, and we have all these genetic mutations because since World War II, <laughs> we've got all these new food chemicals, we've got all these plastics, we've got all these environmental pesticides. So, the body is really under the pump to adapt. And um, one of those things, as you've mentioned, is that we're also now supporting pregnancies to remain that might have, according to nature alone, might have not made it. And one of the areas of work that the teacher that I studied with is really interested in now is looking at, well, what are we doing with the preparation for the pregnancy? Are we giving these children the best chance? and then what are we doing once the baby's born if they've been if the mother's been supplemented and all through the pregnancy she's been supplemented and then suddenly the baby's born. Some of the genes in the baby to deal with detoxification don't even kick in and work until the baby's about one, and yet suddenly there's the baby. Without all with all that supplementation being taken away,
0: mm. and then you know it's getting washed with lovely baby shampoo and these, you know, antibacterial wipes that we're using to yeah. you know at nappy change time, um, and
1: and they're put in the the baby room which was just renovated and it's got all these new carpet chemicals and new paint chemicals and
0: fire retardants on their
1: bedding, yeah. So all of these things are a really big focus uh, that's just coming in, especially for the teacher that I studied with. Can I mention? Yeah, It's, um, it's Dr. Ben Lynch from the Bastia University in San Diego doing some amazing work here so i'm not sure that i can i can i can't give the full story on what this is all about or what it means but it's definitely something interesting that's developing in our awareness i think we also have to look at our awareness of of what's happening here as well with ivf babies same kind of situation Mm -hmm. they've been through special circumstances just to be able to get here on the planet and then as babies um all that Special supplementation and herbal support is is not present. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting time for babies.
0: Yeah, and I think it's something that's worth worth discussing with with your fertility patients. That you know, once they do conceive, and if they've had the genetic testing done, that it, to encourage them to have their child's MTHFR status at the very least. Tested soon after they're born, and that can be done easily with a cheek swab it's not it doesn't require blood to be drawn and I think that that's something that can that can just remain in the consciousness of the parents that that's something that they can look at to look at what their child's you know what support their child might need
1: yeah I've got some patients I'm supporting in the postnatal phase because the mum is really suffering a lot more from the sleep deprivation and you know, on the verge of postnatal depression because they, they're they a classic under-methylator with the mutation and then they have a baby and, of course, the baby's breastfeeding and the mum's going, well, does the baby need the supplements I need because I'm going to take them, they're going to be in my breast milk. And what if the baby, you know, the dad has a different genetic profile and the baby has a different need? So it's like, great, we've got mum calmed down but now the baby's crying all day or we've got something not working cohesively between them so that's that cheek swab test is is something readily available that you can order and they can do without even leaving the home or drawing blood and it really helps me at least assure the mum that the program she's on is also suitable for baby Mm. and also to deal with making the choices about what am I going to do with her? Mm. Because, am I going to
0: give the, this child, yeah. you know, packaged foods? Am I going to, you know, what am I going to do with support around, you know, when the child is sick or if there's,
1: yeah, when they start eating and or when, yeah, as they grow up too. Yeah. And I think you know sometimes it would really change my decision. Like if we have a mum that does do well on methylfolate, but a baby that has no mutation and gets um, really colicky if she takes methylfolate then we, we need to take her off it, mm. you know, especially when the baby's young and breastfeeding, you, you need to take her off it and find other strategies.
0: Thank and, goodness for Chinese herbs. To help her, <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> this
1: is where I'm thinking guai-pi-tang, and these are all the classic things that most of us know.
0: You don't have to even be a master herbalist to, you know, to get, a basic diagnosis right Mm. just just choose a basic formula you don't necessarily have to modify and it can make a really big difference
1: Mm. so yeah i hope this gives you all confidence if you don't really know about mthfr to be able to discuss it with your patient and at least put in context what you whether or not your chinese medicine is helping this Mm. and if someone says you know but what about that i need to see someone else to have that treated um, even if you you don't do supplements and things like that it, rather than fully opting out of the conversation altogether you can start to know that Chinese med integrates really well and a lot of what you're giving them if you're really getting the diagnosis right is actually going to be uh, taking care of I would say a lot of the supplement deficiencies um, but there'll still be some that they'll possibly need. Yeah. Zinc and magnesium are really great cofactors for this process and in Australia our topsoil is deficient in minerals, so our two most prevalent deficiencies across the population are zinc and magnesium.
0: Selenium is also disastrously deficient, but it's not widely tested or recognized. That's the third one. I would yeah, add to
1: that. and there's a lot of caution
0: on, oh, you can't take too much selenium, so people tend to. Not take it at all. Yep, right. That's it. We could maybe do another episode on that. Yeah. But let's wrap it up for today, and I'd like to say a big thank you to Fee for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. I could really feel the restraint on you wanting to bust in and talk about all of the other mutations, but we would (laughs) definitely not have any time for that. I know that there's at least five or ten main ones that you're working with quite closely at the moment.
1: Yeah, I want to say one thing, though, to put this into a fun context. Um, I really love sci-fi, and so the news that we are all mutants and that this is because we're trying to evolve as well is really exciting for me. Because when we, when we get to work this out and we get to nourish our jing, that's how we're activating our superpowers.
0: Awesome. And
1: I love to coach my patients through that. A lot of them enjoy that and um, realize as well because if you have someone that is super sensitive but you get the right diet and lifestyle, you get their chi into balance, you get to calm the shen and fix the heart chi, they really do feel like, All of their skills and talents that are related with sensitivity can come to the fore and blossom.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I encourage any of you, you, if you're interested in learning more, you can check out the links in the show notes. And if you're having any trouble with any particular patients, then I really encourage you to to follow up with Fee because she's got such great knowledge in this area and really great at being able to link it in with Chinese medicine treatment. Thank you so much. So uh, we'd like to hear from you and your experiences, what your thoughts are on this topic, and you can do that on our Facebook page. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.